Okay, here we are. And uh, we're doing a show on stereo this week. Hey. Yes, we are. And, and you know what? We had it all planned out to talk about Netflix's history of original films and how significantly they've kind of ramped up that game over the last six years. And then the perfect introduction just kind of fell into our laps this afternoon. Yes, and that would be um, not to be the one who gets to steal the thunder and break the news. I'll oh, no, go at for this, it. At this point, it's not breaking. It, is, it has been broken. Um, and that is Netflix has purchased the next two sequels of Knives Out from Ryan Johnson for a whopping $450 million. Oh, my God. That is a lot of money. And at over $200 million per pop, I'm almost positive that it is the largest single value film acquisition in Hollywood history. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. It really does. Uh, It's also what we in the biz would would call a a shitload of money. Uh, (laughs) Technical terms. An accurate assessment. And we are discussing it for our podcast, Must Watch Netflix Edition, which drops weekly on Thursdays. But before we get to that, we, we would be remiss if we didn't mention, unfortunately, the uh, the tragic passing of Jason Smith, who was the CEO of Starburns Audio. He was on here on stereo at Starburns Audio. Just a really lovely, great, warm, inviting, supportive, generous human being who was unfortunately taken from us unexpectedly last week. And, you know, Gene, not, we wouldn't know each other at all if it wasn't for Jason. Yeah, it's um, it's just a tragedy. He was all of the things you said. He was kind. He was uh, welcoming. He was friendly. He was also so smart and so knowledgeable and so willing to share his knowledge with you and. I, I I knew him for a short time, but I'm so glad that I was able to know him for even the short time that I did. Um, and 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 we are friends because of him, which is uh, honestly great. What a <laughs> what a great thing for me personally. Um, I, I don't know. He 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 brought a lot of good things to good people, and um, he will be very 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 missed. Absolutely. I agree completely. I'm thankful for him for for bringing us together. I'm thankful for him for supporting must watch Netflix edition. And, you know, all all we can do is try to be uh, the best versions of ourselves every day. And, you know, remember those who have uh, unfortunately left us now. uh, Speaking of must watch Netflix edition. Yes, the Ryan Johnson knives out four hundred and fifty million dollar deal. Did you have any before we get into kind of the history of Netflix's original films and their track record and their development, their rapid development in in barely half a decade. Do you have any kind of immediate reaction to such a massive kind of industry shaking deal that was also wholly unexpected? Yeah. Well, listen, I think that as our producer, Scott Porch has, has said on, uh, on Twitter, Netflix needs franchises. Yeah. And Knives Out is turning into a franchise and Netflix wants it. 
It made the movie made a lot of money in theaters. Uh, I don't believe it was a terribly expensive movie to make. No. It had forty million dollar budget and it made about three hundred and eleven million at the box office. That is absolutely wild. It has insane talent attached, not just Ryan Johnson, um, but Daniel Craig and and all of the cast from the first movie. Who I don't believe all of them are going to be returning for the second, but like it doesn't matter. It's 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 the caliber of people who will likely show up for the second and now third films. And it also kind of launched a thousand memes, you know, <laughs> Chris, Chris Evans, uh, wool fisherman sweater that I absolutely bought a knockoff of and wore for my solo Halloween costume, which no one saw about myself, but it was very comfortable. Um, you know, it's like, it, it it feels like the exact kind of content that Netflix wants, something that has a long tail, something that sparked conversation for a very long time, yeah. something that um, really took the internet by storm. And obviously Netflix is ultimately an, an, an internet, you know, yeah. company. So it just made a lot of sense. What, what about you? What do you think? You mentioned the long tail. And I think that's really important because, Countless studies have proven that a box office hit does have a much longer tail, whether it be, you know, on demand premium video revenue or, you know, once it hits streaming, it has more engagement because it was already a pre-established success. So this is, you know, a, an understandable move from Netflix's point of view. Did they overpay? Absolutely. Is this yeah. somewhat of a panic buy for a streamer desperate to build franchises like we mentioned? Absolutely. Does this suggest maybe some fear on the streamers part of not only rival streamers backed by uh, studios with decades of content development, but maybe even a lack of faith in their own upcoming movie slate? Perhaps you could make that argument. So why not get a high profile piece of content that builds buzz that will be highly watched and gets your foot in the door with talent relationships with Ryan Johnson, who does not have an overall deal at any specific studio and whose production banner could absolutely maybe sign something with Netflix in collaboration with uh, MRC, the company that funds his production banner. So for, for me, it is absolutely a, a big win for Netflix. And it's kind of a little bit, in a way, the zenith of Netflix's overall film strategy, which has come a long way in six, seven years, Gene. It's it's kind of crazy how much they've developed in such a short time. Yeah, well, why don't you kind of walk us through that history? Like, you know, on this show, I'm definitely more of the TV person and you are definitely more of the film person. So I feel like you have <laughs> some really great insights into kind of the history and the development of original film at Netflix. Well, first of all, Gene, I love our complimentary skill sets, but I think uh, you have some pretty good crossover knowledge yourself there. <laughs> Listen, I'm an entertainment fan, as are you, and you know. <laughs> yeah, osmosis. <laughs> exactly, osmosis, and ultimately now we have platforms like Stereo and Must Watch Netflix Edition to shout our opinions from the digital rooftops, and nobody can stop us, Gene. Hell yeah. <laughs> they so, don't necessarily have to listen to us, but they can't stop us. This is true. I mean, you know... <laughs> Listen, I, I would prefer everyone out there, you guys listen and you give us a five-star review and you follow us on Twitter at Hygiene, at Great underscore Catsby, and you follow us on Stereo uh, at Hygiene, at The Great Catsby. That's what I would prefer. 
But if yes. you don't want to, that's okay that's too. Okay, live your <laughs> life. It's fine. But anyway, yes, take us take us back, Brandon. Take us back. Yeah, so Netflix's push into original movies began actually by partnering with Adam Sandler and his Happy Madison production banner way back in 2014. Yet it wasn't until 2015 when Netflix released uh, Idris Elba's and Carrie Fukunaga's Beasts of No Nation and Sandler's first feature for the streamer, The Ridiculous Six, with that they actually started producing and delivering their own Netflix original movies. And since then, it's crazy that despite all the poor Rotten Tomatoes scores and everything, Netflix has actually renewed its deal with Happy Madison and Adam Sandler two separate times. So clearly, they have some solid uh, viewership on those. But from there, in 2016, they went from two original films to 17. In 2017, the streamer released 40 original films, then 68 in 2018, including Sandra Bullock's breakout hit Bird Box, which... Netflix claims is the second most watched movie ever. So, you know, uh, and not a very good film, in my opinion, but certainly an important one for their development. Then in 2019, they released nine, they released uh, 90 films and then 124 movies last year. Now this year, they are going to release at least 70 original films. And, you know, that's ranging from blockbusters like Dwayne Johnson's Red Notice to Oscar hopefuls from A-list directors. And, and Gene, I guess my, my, zoomed out takeaway is that despite the fact that uh, so much of Netflix's original movie output is forgettable, you know, the quality is a bit all over the place. The sheer volume and flexibility is astonishing. I mean, they are releasing about a hundred original films per year, ranging from 20 million indie films to $200 million blockbusters across every single conceivable genre and very importantly, they're positioning themselves to swoop in for high-profile, would-be theatrical movies like Dwayne Johnson's Red Notice, like Ryan Johnson's Knives Out. So when you when you look at it as a huge piece of that puzzle, it's pretty incredible how far they've come from a prodigious volume standpoint. Yeah. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Like, I mean, I guess volume is certainly the Netflix strategy right now uh and you can you can really tell obviously in the tv releases where we get multiple every week but but this new movie initiative feels like it's just another step in that in that same strategy definitely and, and that's also a question i want to kind of zoom out and ask why do you think netflix even got involved in original films to begin with because we now know enough to to confirm that there very much is a decay in viewership for streaming films. Like it is a very much a real phenomenon. So even the biggest blockbuster straight to streaming movies do not compare to like a mid tier TV hit in terms of like tail end engagement and sustained viewership. So what do you think even was the reason Netflix wanted to jump into original films, which is clearly a very crowded and difficult niche to carve out? Well, I feel like th there are a couple of like obvious immediate answers. I mean, the first one that I would say is like probably the reason they got into original content in the first place, which is like vanity. They want to <laughs> they want to have their own stuff. They want to be like, I can do this, too. And also, you know, that's kind of a simplification of it, because I feel like Netflix, once they launched streaming, um, they realized how immediately successful it was and they were like, okay, 
we gotta we gotta get on this right and and then I think another reason that kind of goes hand in hand with that is um licensing I think even early on once Netflix began to have success with its original programming they could probably easily look into the future and say okay if this takes off you know this is probably going to be more of our our cornerstone than anything else and i can see how that would easily translate to movies and tv um and 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 like it the prediction of of the future which is what ha- what is happening now it's like okay if original online content does well original streaming content does well for us it's probably going to do well for others and uh our deals are only for a certain amount of time. So these places might want to, you know, renegotiate now that they know this is a successful opportunity for them. Like it just makes sense logically. So, so those are the, the first two uh, reasons. Can you, uh, you have any other theories? I got a couple others, but I just want to build on what you just said, because that's a great point. They saw the future, right? That's what you're saying, mm-hmm. that they, they could yeah. see the path laid out from them. I agree with that 100%, because we know for a fact that Netflix leadership has always been good at that. In but This must have been 2002, 2003, 2004, you know, the early aughts, Reed Hastings, who is the CEO of Netflix, said that he saw, he foresaw a, a Hollywood landscape in which eventually indie studios, indie movies wouldn't even go to theaters. They would just go directly to Netflix. And while, of course, that's not exactly how it played out, it's pretty damn close to the reality in which Netflix has almost single-handedly expanded the scope Mm -hmm. of indie film. I think that and then the streaming field in general has now been the major driver of the fact that more indie films released per year than ever before because they are now kind of financially viable on these platforms. So Netflix has always been able to see the future. And I I agree completely with what you said. I would only add that I think overall Netflix continues to be, or continues strives to be the one-stop shop, you know, Walmart supermarket online entertainment destination. And so if they want to do that, which they clearly do because that's been their niche from the get-go, then they need in a diverse array of content such as, you know, big blockbuster original films, smaller scale original films. They need to go out and spend hundreds of million dollars for anticipated sequels to popular theatrical films. And even beyond that, I think a ton of consumer surveys have somewhat proven that the availability of films, particularly new films, is a very key factor when deciding, you know, what a consumer is going to subscribe to in terms of streaming service. So, you know, all of those reasons, seeing the future understanding that their titles are, are their licensed titles are finite. You know, they're going to be reclaimed at some point wanting to be something for everyone and be kind of demographic proof in terms of what they provide. All of that is the reason why would they, they would go out and spend a ludicrous nine figures on films that they don't even really own. They're just kind of borrowing these sequels almost from Ryan Johnson. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I also feel like, as streaming took off, as people were like, oh, okay, this isn't just some like flash in the pan trend. This is this is going to be a thing, you know, capital T, a thing. Um, 
they also realized that they were going to have to forge their own identity in a way that makes them uh, indispensable still. And so that their product is still the thing that people go to and they don't kind of suffer from the whole band-aid or Kleenex thing where with the, the name brand recognition, but you know, for the generic product. And and I do think that maybe they're in a little bit of danger about that, but they're trying their hardest to maintain the the status and, and make sure that Netflix means more than just streaming. It means specifically Netflix. That's a really good point, especially in terms of like the branding. So that actually, that actually inspires a question for me. How important do you think original movie making is to Netflix moving forward? Because right now with Disney swallowing up Fox, I think you can make the case pretty, pretty easily make the case that Netflix has essentially filled Fox's void as one of the six major film studios in Hollywood. I mean, like I said before, they release roughly a hundred original films per year in 2019. Walt Disney, Warner Brothers, Sony, Universal, Paramount, they basically released a combined 180 theatrical movies. So Netflix alone is, is doing, you know, 75% of that business. But I'm wondering how they, how you think they value original films moving forward, how important it is to the average everyday consumer, how important it is to people like us who are plugged into the entertainment conversation. You know what? That's a good question. I mean, I feel like they value original films I don't I don't know. I think it's not even necessarily valuing original films, but it's um, becoming, as you're saying, an integral player in the film industry. Because really, even before digital kind of took over, we saw an increasing reliance from movie studios on big budget blockbusters and like mid-budget movies are just kind of like what where did where did they go and I, being I squeezed like, out of existence yeah exactly and i feel like netflix is kind of the logical replacement for that so i think it's just not even necessarily the original content part that's important as it becoming part of the ecosystem in a really indispensable way maybe <laughs> yeah and listen we are of netflix podcast but that does not mean we are just kind of blind netflix supporters i think we've talked a ton of well-earned shit about the company over our you know what is it, seven months now i think we've been doing this yeah, podcast yeah. something like that and 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 they deserve it a lot of times because people forget netflix isn't your friend they're a business that's just trying to make money but having said all that i i think we do have to give credit where credit is due and and in terms of what you're talking about, has they become a more integral space in the film industry? They've revived dead genres, mid-budget fare, like you said, rom-com, high school coming-of-age films, movies that were being squeezed out of existence at multiplexes because the only things that consistently make money these days are superhero films or $100 million tentpoles. And Netflix has given a viable worldwide reach platform for these types of movies that were going extinct going the way of the dodo bird so you know a part of me is thankful even if they are a corporation now on the flip side though gene i, I it, tell me is this fair they are spending 450 million dollars 
for the rights to Knives Out 2 and 3. It doesn't even include the budgets or any marketing. Don't yeah. you think, like, uh, you know, $10 million could have gone for, like, uh, for $5 million could have gone to season two of Teenage Bounty Hunters? Something like that? Okay, ain't that the truth? Uh, <laughs> you know, figuring out how to make it financially feasible to give Glow a wrap-up movie? Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. All of that. I, Preach. I that, that is... The Knives Out thing really does feel like Netflix making a statement in the same way that they made a statement when they did House of Cards, right? Yeah, and that was a $100 million bidding war that they won to the surprise of many throughout Hollywood. It was really expensive. It was really splashy, but it had an all-star cast, an all-star talent, um, all-star everyone... And they, this was, this was a statement that they were making and they certainly made it, you know, like that, that's what the Knives Out thing feels like to me for sure. Yeah. My, my only thing is though, like, like, like I said, with all this money going to just two films, it's curious that a company with, you know, a market cap of 230 billion or so a company that has said recently that they no longer need to borrow money and raise debt to fund original content uh, a company that's spending roughly about 17 18 billion dollars on original content this year can't throw money at deserving projects that get canceled too soon uh, you know they can't wrap up glow and so i wonder if now with the knives out acquisition serving kind of as an exclamation point on their ambitious, aggressive film expansion. Are they valuing movies more than TV, even though TV is more valuable to streamers than movies? Wow, welcome to the world of TV. (laughs) (laughs) Being valued less than movies, wow. Um, (laughs) But I I feel like that's definitely, uh, yeah, I, I think, that's a very good point that that could definitely be something that you would take from that news. I would also say part of it just reminds me too that like when you're talking about big companies and also big tech companies like Netflix at a certain point, um, what they're using is a, like monopoly money, right? It's, <laughs> it feels like intangible money. And, um, and so like, the difference between 450 million and 300 million for a company like Netflix is like, whatever, you know, I don't know. (laughs) And, and you got to remember that it is a little bit in the case of some companies, monopoly money. Netflix is someone who doesn't have a ton of, uh, when you have a ton of debt, sometimes you don't have a ton of cash on hand. And like Netflix plays its employees in equity rather than like salary for in a lot of unique instances. So It's not like, you know, an Apple, which has a ton of cash on hand that can just, you know, tangibly create things. So I think you're right to to an extent that the Monopoly money comparison, that's pretty apt. It feels like they're just playing with like Wall Street numbers, not actual like, oh, I I put $20 in my checkings account today. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Also, though, like my little tiny um, middle class brain cannot understand or comprehend amounts of money. (laughs) <laughs> too large like yeah. i don't know <laughs> 450 million is simply unfathomable to me so <laughs> whatever <laughs> uh, now before i think maybe we wrap this up uh, 
with with some upcoming Netflix original movies that might intrigue us and what they might provide to Netflix in terms of values. Brandon, now feels like a great time for you to walk us through these upcoming releases that you're excited <laughs> about. And I guarantee that I, too, am excited about a lot of them. Well, you know, the, Netflix is, had announced earlier this year that it was going to release a minimum of 70 original movies. And that didn't even account for any, you know, film festival acquisition or or other moves like this, like a Knives Out, that are, are super surprising and unexpected. So when all is said and done in 2021, they will have released more movies than that. But just some off the top of the head that are that are interesting, maybe not even so much looking forward to, although a ton of them I am. But in terms of what they might mean for Netflix, like I said before, you got Dwayne Johnson's Red Notice. This is a movie starring The Rock, Gal Gadot, and Ryan Reynolds. It is a film that was originally set up at Universal that they eventually relinquished because it was a $170 million budget for an original idea. And as we know, theatrically, originality does not work anymore unless you are a Knives Out like Ryan Johnson. Uh, so the fact that they were able to swoop in and grab a potential franchise starter with three massive stars, I think is really important for them. I think the same goes for The Gray Man, which is from the Russo brothers and is assembling an all-star cast with like Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans and a ton of other A-list names that I'm super excited for. Another would-be franchise starter that may join Extraction and the Old Guard as, you know, kind of more traditional throwback you know, 80s blockbuster action franchises, which again, franchises are what Netflix is desperately trying to create because they know in terms of IP and in terms of actual franchise development, they are behind, you know, a, a Disney Plus or an HBO Max studios that have the content to do that. So I, I think that's really important. And then in terms of like the, let's bring it down a notch from the blockbusters. I'm really excited for Don't Look Up from filmmaker Adam McKay, the guy who was behind Vice and The Big Short. You know, this is another all-star cast. It's got Leonardo DiCaprio. It's got Jennifer Lawrence. I think Timmy Chalamet and Jonah Hill are in it. So, you know, that's going to be fun. I think uh, Ariana Grande is in it. It's that's That'll be fun. So Meryl Streep is in it. I just looked up. So I, I think they have a lot of interesting uh, projects. You got Lin-Manuel Miranda's feature directorial debut, Tick, Tick, Boom. So, you know, some of these are, are branded with talent names rather than like a Marvel or a Star Wars or a DC or a Harry Potter. And some of these are potential Oscars contenders. So the things that are, that are happening for Netflix and the original film department in 2021 are really interesting because they traverse both the big and small scale and they speak to Netflix's talent relations development ability. So whether or not this produces, you know, long tail crushing value like a Stranger Things, like a Queen's Gambit does. I don't know. But does it set Netflix up for a brighter future with probably more subscriptions added and more people uh, keeping their subscriptions after a month and not churning out? Probably, Gene. Yeah, absolutely. Probably. I would also say that my hope for Netflix going forward is to... In addition to seeking these franchises, these big names, these accolades that they desire, I hope they continue to support the mid-budget movies, the kind of neglected genres. I really love a rom-com. One of my very favorite things to do is to 
go to the movies by myself and see like some sort of whatever movie you know the kind of movie where you watch a trailer and you're like "Mm, i'm gonna watch that on an airplane or like (laughs) it's like a rom-com but not necessarily some crazy good thing but you're like i know that's gonna be a solid good time i want to go see that or like a comedy um you know, I, I think about like a book smart, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Those are the movies that I love to watch. And I feel like that same experience uh, translates to being at home uh, on a random night where you, you know, pour a glass of wine and you queue up a movie on Netflix and you just vibe. Well, uh, gee, if know? it's me, it's going to be at least two glasses of wine. I'm just yeah, being okay. real. Exactly. <laughs> let's, I mean, let's. Uh, my friends um, used to call that a jersey pour. You know, when you just like pour it all the way to the top of the glass. <laughs> you're not supposed to do that. Um, hey, it's technically yeah. one glass. Exactly. Right. So, so that is something that I really value, and I do pay to see those movies in theaters on occasion. And sometimes I don't, but Netflix feels like the perfect outlet for that. And I just hope that as they pursue these flashier things, that they also continue to invest in those smaller things, because yeah. that is one of my favorite uh, types of movie to watch on Netflix, for sure. And listen, we don't I don't know what's going to happen long term. I don't have a crystal ball, despite, uh, you know, how much marijuana I smoke from time to time. <laughs> I think I do. <laughs> but if, if their 2021 slate is anything to go off of, then they're absolutely going to do that, Gene, which I'm happy about. You know, we're going to get our army of the dead from Zack Snyder, which is a blockbuster zombie movie about a team of criminals trying to break in to a zombie infested Las Vegas in order to rob a casino, which is clearly like a, you know, a a gonzo out there, high profile concept. But at the same time this year, Netflix, we're also going to get blonde that stars Anya de Armas as uh, Marilyn Monroe. We're going to get bruised, which is Halle Berry's, uh, 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 feature directorial debut in which it's kind of like a Rocky-esque story. She plays uh, an MMA fighter looking for redemption. So those are clearly not, you know, massive, large scale, oh, we got to get a Super Bowl ad type of movies. So I I think they are doing a good job of straddling both sides of the fence in terms of the variety and versatility of films that they deliver in terms of originals. Whether or not that's sustainable long term, whether or not they're squeezing the return on investment and the value to keep churning out 100 original movies that do range from $200 million blockbusters to 20 million indies, I don't know. But we're going to find out because, listen, there's going to be probably less and less theatrical films and more and more streaming films as we move forward. Absolutely. And, and And the other thing that will be interesting to see is how the rest of 2021 plays out in the world. Right, because movie theaters are starting to open up in the U.S. again. Uh, I personally cannot wait to just like live at the AMC, uh, <laughs> reactivate my A-list subscription, and just like be there all the time. I am a person who loves going to the movies. I love going to the movie yes. theater, and I will not stop doing that. However, I will also be watching movies at home, so I can't wait to see how the rest of the world kind of responds to this and how the studios respond to this and what that means for the future. And that is something I also feel like we're just going to have to wait and see. Absolutely. And I'm here with you. I listen, I love streaming and I love that streaming has saved genres and I love 
straight to, you know, the home movies. But I am a theater first guy at the end of the day. I'm someone who's a little bit bummed out that Knives Out 2 and 3 won't be in theaters because of how fun that viewing experience was. Going into it being like, this looks good. This is a great cast. I really like Ryan Johnson. And coming out of it being like, that is better than I ever expected. Yeah. We don't get that communal experience as much anymore. But hey, once this once this pandemic's over and this vaccine is up, if I make my way to LA, we, we need a, a movie movie and sushi oh. time. That's what we need to do. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. This, that's going to happen. That's going to happen. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, in the meantime, though, everyone listen, you guys can check out our podcast every Thursday, Must Watch Netflix Edition, where we help you basically navigate the endless drop of new Netflix titles. And right now we're in the midst of a kind of zoomed out overall Netflix strategy uh, series of episodes, particularly as we pummel towards Oscar season, which is coming up and which Netflix has a ton of nominations. Uh, otherwise, you can tune into us on Stereo every Thursday, uh, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, where you know we do a little complimentary content for you guys. Because again, Netflix is releasing 100 original movies per year. They have about 60 new films and, and TV shows per month. Everybody needs a little bit of help navigating the Netflix labyrinth. Exactly. And uh, yeah, follow us, rate and review us on iTunes or whatever your preferred podcast uh, thing is. Follow us on the internet and and thanks for listening. <laughs> Until next week, you guys. Bye.